The reading is from Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into him. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Good morning. It's great to be with you again today. You know, I really, really, really love this passage of scripture. It's the most remarkable account of a life that fundamentally changed. Here we see the power of Jesus to change lives. Whoever you are, whatever you've done in life, whatever background you've come from, As you listen to me today, I want you to know this. God is a God who changes lives. God sent his son, Jesus, to bring change to your life and to my life. And I really believe that if you will have an open heart today, God will do something lasting and significant in your life. We've been looking at questions, questions that Jesus was asked, questions that Jesus answered, Questions that Jesus asked others. You know, life is full of questions, isn't it? Sometimes we get to listen in as others ask and answer questions. That's what we're looking at today. We see this remarkable account of a question that Jesus is asked. 
The incredible thing is it's not a person asking Jesus this question, but an evil spirit. And we'll see that Jesus' answer and his actions show who he was and the heart of compassion and grace that he had to see lives change. You know, um, I want us to see here, the very first thing is that Jesus goes out of his way to meet a man that most of us would want to avoid. Here in this passage, we see that Jesus has gone in a boat, gone across the water, and here he gets out of the boat. And if you were listening a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that boat journey. And that boat journey itself was remarkable because suddenly out of nowhere came this huge storm on the lake and the disciples panic and fear because they're in danger of drowning. And what they see is that Jesus had authority over the wind and the rain. He literally speaks a word and the storm is calmed. I said last time that Jesus was taking the disciples on a journey from out of fear and into faith. And here we see that this thing really gets ratcheted up a whole nother notch as Jesus continues to take them on that journey out of fear and into faith and into an understanding and a revelation of who he is. One of the things I want us to even think about, just in a very simplistic way, is that Jesus is about to calm an inward storm in this man's life. But first, he calms an outward storm on a boat. Jesus had such complete authority over natural things, over evil spirits. As we go forward in the book of Mark, you'll see that he had authority over sickness and over death. As Jesus brings freedom to this man, his life is forever changed. What I I want us to notice, though, is that Jesus is going to a place that in one sense would be naturally uncomfortable for him. He's going to a place where the Gentiles live. So we, we see here that he goes to a place where people are keeping pigs. So what we know is that these wouldn't be Jewish people, they would be Gentile people, but also the fact that they were keeping these pigs. These pigs were likely being raised to feed the Romans who had occupied the Jewish land. So here we see, in one sense, Jesus is going to a place to people who are are for the Jews, they were unclean. He's going to a, uh, a place where they're feeding the enemies of the Jews. And here we see Jesus goes all the way there to meet a man who was utterly devastated and broken. But he goes to bring good news. The remarkable thing is if we follow this account through, we see that when Jesus has finished with him, he gets back in the boat and goes back to where he came from. In other words, Jesus went out of his way through a storm into a difficult place, into a place where those people would, in in one sense, naturally speaking, have been his enemies. Jesus went there to bring the kingdom of God in power into this man's life. Jesus brought change to this man's life. Not because he had a sentimental love for people, but Jesus brought change because he loved this man. 
Really at the heart of this account is the sense of Jesus bringing freedom and showing the dignity and worth and value that he placed on people and his ability to destroy the kingdom of darkness. You know, for many of us, we love the idea of helping people. We like the idea of helping the lost and the broken. But Jesus made the difficult decisions and went through difficulty to reach a man that you or I would most likely want to avoid. I believe that as followers of Jesus, if we are to have anything, it is a heart for the outcast, the broken, the marginalized. It's to have a heart for those who others uh, despise and look down on. We need to have a heart for the broken, for those on the margins. Jesus demonstrated it. You know, it was once said that Christians should have hard feet and soft hearts. In other words, our feet are so hardened because we're prepared to to walk anywhere to reach the lost and the broken. And our hearts are soft because we have compassion. But actually, often it's true that sometimes as Christians, we can have hard hearts. Our hearts are not easily broken by the lost or by people's suffering. We have soft feet. We're enthralled to luxury and comfort. And that's not the example that Jesus sets here. Jesus goes the hard yards to meet a man in a crazy, broken situation. And Jesus goes because he has love and compassion. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, are we prepared to inconvenience ourselves to reach the loss? You know, verse 3 says here that this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Now we know from this account that when Jesus went there, it was at night. So I want us to see that Jesus goes at night. He goes to a man living amongst the tombs. You know, that's not a comfortable place to be. I imagine what the disciples are going through in their journey from fear to faith. That as they get out of the boat, here comes this guy who's known as the local flip out. He's literally uh, able to escape from chains. If we read the different um, gospel accounts, we see that he comes running, charging towards Jesus. He's shouting, he's screaming, he's naked. You can imagine the fear that the disciples had. You can imagine any onlookers thinking, what? is going to happen here. And yet what we see is the most remarkable thing. This man has an encounter with Jesus and his life is forever changed. I want us to see that Jesus had authority over the evil spirits in this man's life. Jesus had authority over the evil spirits in this man's life. 
We see in verse 6, it says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For he had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. I want us to see that even though the disciples didn't know who Jesus was, actually this evil spirit did. It was subject to the authority of Jesus and it understood something that the disciples hadn't yet realized. As Jesus speaks with this demon, it's it's kind of weird, isn't it? This idea of Jesus having a conversation with an evil spirit. I want us to be really, really clear. When the Bible talks about this man having an evil spirit, it's not a, a, a polite way of saying that he had a mental illness. No, this person, his life was controlled by evil spirits. Literally, his life was so broken that they ruled over his life. This man who'd been created in the image of God was now in a place of brokenness. As Jesus dialogues here, we see that when he asks this spirit's name, he says, we are legion because we're many. In other words, there are hundreds of us. You know, the enemy, Satan, wants to come to kill, to kill, to steal and destroy, the Bible tells us. But it also tells us that Jesus came that we might have life and life in all its fullness. You know, the question that this spirit asks is, Jesus, what do you want to do with us? In other words, Jesus, why are you even here? Why are you even bothering? In one sense, it's a question that speaks to the fact that these spirits thought nothing of this man's life. Jesus, why would you even bother with him? Why would you even bother with this man's life? What is it to you? Why are you even here? You know, the spiritual realm is real. I've seen and encountered and experienced encounters in one sense similar to this. Because the spiritual realm is real, we have to be careful not to open our lives up to unharmful, to harmful spiritual influences. In particular, all involvement with the occult opens doorways to the demonic. If you've had, uh, if that's been your experience in the past, I want to encourage you. We'd love to pray for you over those things. Please do contact us in the church office, but please do be aware of what the influences are that you're opening your heart, your family, your mind, your spirit to. My own personal conviction is that, that many forms of meditation and even some forms of mindfulness actually can have really unhelpful spiritual roots. And my opinion would be, please stay away from those things. They open up doorways to things that are destructive. Here as Jesus answers the question that this, uh, this spirit asks him, you know, in one sense saying, Jesus, what do you want of us? Here we see through Jesus' actions something of his mission. We see a glimpse into the mission of Jesus that he came to set the captive free, that he came to break the power of sin 
and darkness. Here we see in his response that he has authority over evil. What is clear is that these demons had to obey him. They had no choice. It's really significant that we as followers of Jesus have been given authority over evil spirits. Jesus breaks the power of the demonic. We see from the fact that these uh, demons are cast into these pigs and then they go rushing over the cliff and just are utterly destroyed these pigs. We see in one sense this picture of the nature of sin that, uh, that that which mastered us, masters us brings brokenness to our lives. The utter destruction shows the true nature of evil. But also what's demonstrated here is Jesus' mission. Jesus had compassion on this man, but he also had the power and the authority to bring real and lasting change. We're going to uh, cut to Noah now, who's going to show us and talk to us a little bit about the real and lasting change that Jesus has brought in his life. Hi everyone, my name's Noah. My wife and I have been attending THCC for about 10 years now. In fact, it's the first church that we visited when we arrived from Canada and we've stayed ever since. I'm coming to you from my allotment. Would you guys like a quick tour? So this is our lovely shed and we've got some homeschooling going on here. Um, we have some hops plants, which I need to string up some lots of berries, some strawberries growing and then potatoes, carrots and other vegetables. It's one of the things that's helped keeping us sane during this lockdown. So I'd like to share with you a little bit about my testimony about my journey of faith. I didn't grow up a Christian. Um, uh, as, a, as a young kid, I grew up in a small village in Canada, uh, a couple hundred people, uh, and it was an idyllic childhood in many ways. Um, and I had some Christian influence. I'd go to vacation Bible school now and then for a week, but Jesus was not my Lord at that point. Um, and as a teenager, we moved from there to a larger city, about a million people in Ottawa. And uh, as a, growing up as a young man, uh, being far from God, uh, I guess what, what the Bible says in 1 John, that uh, the world, what it seeks after is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I could say that characterized my life, uh, just seeking you know, pleasure, entertainment, and one of the things that led me to was uh, getting pretty deep into like the, the warehouse rave scene, uh, doing drugs, going to parties. And that, that led me to a pretty dark place, actually. Uh, at a warehouse party in Toronto, I, I witnessed someone getting stabbed to death. That wasn't fun. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, nearly killed himself. Uh, on uh, He had something called amphetamine-induced psychosis. Um, yeah, it was. It, it quickly led to a very bad place. But at that time, my sister uh, got saved, and she brought my mom back to her faith, and they started praying for me. And uh, 
And it must have been very discouraging for them because I remember waving a joint in front of my sister's face and saying, oh, this is better than your God. And I remember telling my mom uh, she should take ecstasy because uh, it's the path to true freedom. Uh, but they continued to pray for me. And uh, I, I was living by myself then and my sister asked if she'd come stay at my house for a weekend to go to a young adults conference. And uh, I said, sure, and maybe I'll join you. And uh, I went and I remember um, God absolutely revealed himself to me. I felt like the entire event, uh, the, the, the preacher at the front was just speaking to me. Uh, uh, I went up to the front to get prayed for. And I remember the very real presence of God. And from that point on, I, I could not deny that God exists. Um, but that, that was like a, a, an experience, but I needed to process it in my mind. And it took me a little while to work it through, uh, but God kept on uh, drawing me back to himself until finally the place where uh, I, I gave my life to Jesus. And um, I had a few friends at that time, and I remember them saying to me that, Noah, there used to be like a darkness to you, that which is gone now. And I can say that uh, my life was transformed. The, the things which I was motivated by, the things which I lived for, the things which I sought after, the things which I valued, all changed. Uh, in fact, I applied to Bible college shortly after getting saved to the pastoral program. I thought if I'm going to live for God, why not go the whole way? And I was promptly rejected. <laughs> uh, it was good though, but uh, it, I ended up doing a, a year in Bible college uh, in a missions program. And uh <clears throat> Yeah, the difference that God has made in my life is phenomenal. Uh, taking the focus off myself uh, and, and looking to love people, to love God, to serve people. Uh, uh, it, it's been an amazing journey. That was nearly 20 years ago. Uh, and I can say that God has blessed me immensely. Uh, I have a beautiful wife. I have four beautiful children. Um, uh, I have a lovely church. Uh, and uh, I, I would say that if you're watching this and you're not a Christian and you're, you wonder who who Jesus is and is he real? Um, when I said I went to that young adults conference, it was it was intense. These young adults were going for it. They were worshiping and everyone was really uh, um, being moved by the spirit. And I remember thinking I can cross my arms and say these people are crazy or I can open, my, open myself up and say what's going on here. And I did that. And uh, I would encourage you to open yourself up and, and, and find out who Jesus is. That's my story. Thank you for listening. Thirdly, I want us to see how much this man's life was changed and in such a short space of time. You know, if we go back just a moment to that, that second where this guy is rushing at Jesus, he's growling, he's shouting, he's naked. The people around, what do they see? They see a flip out. They see somebody who is famous, for his devastation. They see someone who lives amongst the tombs. They see somebody who, who cuts himself, who harms himself. They see somebody that everybody has given up on. But Jesus sees differently. Jesus sees somebody created in the image of God. Jesus sees somebody with value and worth, precious, priceless, created by God with dignity. And with a purpose. And what we see is that when this man encountered Jesus, he went away changed 
and changed forever. You see, that's what happens when we meet Jesus. We get changed, changed from the inside, but also the outside changes. God works in our hearts, makes us new. And then the outside begins to change too. You know, the change in this man's life, in some ways, um, it, it sums up the power of the good news of Jesus, the gospel in someone's life. Luke, in his account of this, in chapter 8 and verse 35, speaks of this man and says that in a short time he was clothed in his right mind and seated at the feet of Jesus. Clothed in his right mind and seated at the feet of Jesus. No longer tormented. People could see a change. You know, I want to challenge you when you see the devastation and the brokenness in people's lives to see beyond it, but to see the person created in the image of God, even in the the person whose behavior is the worst in this world, even in those who we can't even stand at times, see them as made in the image of God, see the dignity that God gives to each individual. You know, when Annie used to do a lot of outreach to sex workers, those involved in prostitution, it always used to strike me as uh, as I used to go out on outreach with her, as, uh, as we watched a woman get into a car with some guy she doesn't know. And I was always struck by the thought, that's someone's daughter. At some point, that would have been a, a little girl maybe sitting with her parents, with dreams and aspirations, for the future. This world, the terrible things in it, break people. Sin breaks people. But Jesus brings change, change that lasts. And that's exemplified by this man, clothed in his right mind and seated at the feet of Jesus. Now, you know, one of the things that I've observed is that when we think about this passage, as Christians, it's easy to cast ourselves in the role of Jesus here, almost to personalize this narrative and say that you are Jesus to uh, the man living among the tombs. But I want to just turn that on its head a bit today and say that really each of us, we are that man. We are the one living among the tombs, that when we encounter Jesus, we do so in the midst of brokenness, even if that feels like a respectable form of brokenness, even if it's an affluent form of brokenness, even if it feels like a nice form of brokenness. And yet we only come to Jesus in need. I want to read to you just a passage of scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. But verse 1 says this, For you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were deserving of wrath, but because of his Great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ 
even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, all of us without Jesus are dead. You know, there's not different levels of dead, kind of dead, very dead, really super very dead, really, really dead. You're either dead or you're not. And without Christ, all of us are dead. We're like this guy living among the tombs. But God, who is rich in mercy, brings us to life, makes us alive in Christ. It is only by grace we can be saved. That means placing our trust in Jesus, realizing that he died on a cross for our sins, making him the Lord of our life and choosing to follow after him. If you're in any doubt what that means, if you're in any doubt that you are born again, if you're in any doubt that you are a disciple of Jesus, I want to tell you we're going to be running a Christianity Explored course in June. You know, please contact the church office. We'd love for you to go on that. It's just a short course that we're going to be running online, which tells you more about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. What is our response to who Jesus is? And if you're not sure that you've been born again, I want to say you need to go on that course. It doesn't matter if you're from a Christian background. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim or an atheist. We'd love to see you on that. Contact the church office because we'd love for you to join us on that. But we all come to Jesus in need, like this man, broken and living among the tombs. But the good news of Jesus is that when we meet him, he doesn't leave us that way. We see this man became clothed in his right mind and seated at the feet of Jesus. Only God brings that kind of transformation in life. Only God can do something like that. Only God can change a life that way. You know, I'd love for you to meet some more people in our church and just to hear the wonderful stories, so many of them of lives transformed by the good news of Jesus. But we don't just see that the Jesus didn't just change that man's present but he changed his future. I want us to see point number four. Jesus gave this man a changed purpose in life. It's really interesting the reactions to what happened. As Jesus uh, cast the demons out of this man and they go into the pigs and the pigs go tumbling off the cliff, this spectacular sight. There are two reactions to it. The local people come along and they beg Jesus to go. They say, Jesus, please leave. In one sense, they're not rejoicing at the fact that this man who was known and renowned as a flip out has been healed and restored and made whole. No, they're interested in their possessions. They're interested in staying in control. They're, influ- they're interested in their livelihood. They cared more for their pigs than for this man. Their response to the kingdom of God coming is to say, Jesus, please leave because I like life my way. I want to be in control. That couldn't be further from the reaction of this man. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be taught by him. He wants to be with the one who has changed his life. Verse 18 and 20 says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed, notice had been, He no longer was. Jesus had set him free. He begged to go with him. 
Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the region of 10 cities there, how much Jesus had done for him. And all of the people were amazed. You see, this man clothed in his right mind, seated at the feet of Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. He wants to follow him onto the boat. He wants to be with him. You know, that's the right response to a life that's changed by God is to say, God, my life is yours. I want to follow you. And that's the heart of this man. He says, Jesus, I want to go with you. And yet Jesus changes the purpose of this man's life. He says, go tell your friends, tell your family, your neighbors, those around you. Tell them the good news of what Jesus has done for you. And friends, you know, so many of us, we've got big plans and aspirations in life. We've got things we want to achieve, goals, whatever it is. But a fitting response, a grateful response to a life transformed by Jesus is to go and to tell others. And that's what this man does. And many people came to hear the good news of Jesus through him. Friends, Jesus came to break the power of darkness. Jesus came to break the power of sin. Jesus came to give you life. Jesus came to give me life. Jesus came to give us life abundantly, life eternal, life everlasting. Jesus destroys the work of Satan. If God has set you free, if Jesus has changed your life, I want to encourage you, be grateful. Be grateful to God. And out of that overwhelming sense of gratefulness, tell others the good news of Jesus. Tell others what God has done for you. 